Welcome to the View from the Penalty Box podcast with Cam Connor. Classic hockey stories from one of hockey's toughest enforcers. Episode 25, my name is Cam Connor with my son Chris. Welcome back everyone. I bet you thought that there would not be another episode, uh, but we're back and we had a pretty, I would say a pretty great summer. It always goes so fast, although it does feel like the Stanley Cup finals were a long time ago. How was your summer, Dad, and how did you keep busy? Well, here we are, the first week in October. You know, that's summer. Honest to God, I feel like it's still just maybe, you know, the end of July. It went by so fast this year. I like to golf. I'm not that good at it. I shoot plus, you know, anywhere between 89 and 95 with zero practice, no lessons. And I don't cheat. Wherever my ball lands, if I can't find it in the bush, I'm an honor. So that's an honor score. I really enjoy golf. I relax out there. I go out with the pretty well the same three or four guys and uh, we just have a lot of fun but didn't golf too good this year I was just shaking my head many games you know it snowed here maybe three weeks ago three and a half weeks ago probably snowed five six times lasted a day or two days and then it melted but when it's snowing you're not golfing and you're not even getting yard work done so this summer went by way too quick Chris Speaking of golfing, the reason why I don't golf is... Do you know why I don't golf, Dad? Uh, lack of ability? <laughs> well, tra- I was traumatized because I was the kid that was put into every activity. And so my mom thought, you should try golfing. And so she's... Uh, you know, most people would give you golf lessons or at least ask if you wanted to golf. And so... No, she put me in uh, like a four-person team tournament. <laughs> I didn't even know how to hold a golf club. Let's just say I felt really bad for the other three golfers, and that was the longest golf day and, and only golf day of my life. I'm sure one day I'll try it again. But um, Mom did a lot of that, didn't she? Well, she did, and, you know, you, I just was thinking about the first time I golfed, and... Uh... It was back in Winnipeg, and uh, Roddy Piper and I, we were in like grade 10 or 11, and the school said, if you golf on Thursday afternoon, you don't have to come to class. It's a school thing. So Rod and I, that was a no-brainer. We said, okay, we're golfing. We've never golfed, Rod or I. So we go to this private club. I don't even know why a private club allowed us at the school to use their course, but they did. Rod and I were the only two guys that uh, put some money up and rented a golf cart. And we know zero about the etiquettes on the golf course. And uh, I'll never forget it on the ninth hole, which is, as anybody that golf knows, is right next to the clubhouse. So somehow Rod got his ball on the green. And so Rod was driving. And he took the golf cart and he pulled up beside his golf ball on the green next to the clubhouse. And you would have thought a swarm of bees come out of this clubhouse, just a yelling and madder in hell. And Rod said, oh, you're, you're not allowed to put a golf cart on the green? So that was, you know, 
grade 10 or 11, we had no clue. So we learned uh, a hard lesson real quick. They were pretty mad at us. And over the past few, actually not even few summers, like probably 10 to 15 summers, we've been playing tennis and you have beaten me every year, except one year I was about to beat you and the lights shut off the, the tennis courts and it was pitch black. So I, you still counted that as a win, even though I was leading. Uh, I guess it was a tie. But the last couple of years, we've been so busy that we haven't played tennis. And you're saying that it's, uh, I'm waiting until you hit 70 and then we, I could challenge you and maybe beat you. Yeah, I haven't picked up a racket, you know, since the last time you and I played. So you know what? Next summer, we got to do it again. And uh, very confident. Going to kick your butt. And so I had a fun summer. I have uh, three kids, a five-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. So my wife and I are extremely busy. We don't have time to travel or we don't have, uh, we don't want to travel with that many kids. But uh, Chelsea, my oldest, she got cast in uh, an interesting part. And if you follow my dad's Twitter, he actually tweeted the video out. So they were looking for a little five-year-old girl who could do kind of like a walk-on bit. Uh, when Steve Martin and Martin Short do their theater performance. Uh, so she was part of a joke. And so she got cast, and uh, she basically had to walk on stage, interact a little bit with them, exchange microphones, and walk out, which seems very easy. But uh, the person ahead of time, like the, I guess you call it like the talent wrangler, was giving us a tour, and the show started, and she let Chelsea look around the corner. And she got to see over 2,000 people staring at her. And that's scary enough for anybody. <laughs> but when you're five, uh, we thought for sure she wouldn't do it. And uh, she did it. So that was exciting. We got to meet them. It's interesting. I would have thought uh, that Martin Short would be the chatty guy, but he was very focused. Didn't even talk to us, really. But Steve Martin was really nice. And uh, he... He put Chelsea at ease. They had flowers for her after. So uh, she was terrified. We were terrified that, that it wouldn't happen. But then as soon as it was done, she, she wanted to do it again. And I said, probably won't be doing that one again. But that was probably the highlight or something interesting from our, from our summer. Uh, so we wanted to, well, we had our little break when everyone was tired of hockey we want to thank everyone who still was listening and we noticed a lot of a lot of reviews people were still buying merchandise and if you're interested in supporting the podcast or at least promoting it by wearing a shirt it's a view from the slash merch m-e-r-c-h you can always follow my dad on twitter at cam connor nhl you haven't been tweeting that much lately, Dad, so now that the hockey season's back, we'll have to yeah. prod you to, to get on there. And you can always send us an email with questions at viewfromthepenaltybox at gmail.com. And we have a question, and it's actually for me. So uh, this, is my, this is my first question. and so Better you, be easy. Yeah, and uh, could be my only one, but I'll answer it. And it's from Mark Patrick, and he... I guess he heard on one of the episodes that I did work for the Edmonton Oilers for a few years, and he wanted to know more about that, and why did I, why did I stop? So uh, probably about 10 years ago, 
I worked for them in um, media relations, and it's called Game Night Media Relations. And so uh, you get paid, but not very much. I think the perk is that you get to meet the players and you get to watch free hockey games. So I worked for them for about three to four years, and it was a lot of fun, but I had my full-time job, so I would work like eight to four, and I'd have to be at the rink before 30, and I'd work till one, and then I'd have to start the next job at eight. So while it was a perk, there were long days, and uh, I think by the end of the, the four years, I really got burnt out. It's interesting how some people say, when you have a hobby or a passion, you should just leave it at that. And that doesn't have to become your job. And so I saw a few interesting things that kind of got me disillusioned. I remember when I was sitting next to the, I guess, the staff of a visiting team, which I won't mention, one of the players that wasn't playing talked to the PR person. And he basically said, Something like, I want a girl for tonight. <laughs> Can you find me one? And I was just starting in PR, and I was shocked that they would use that role as that's one of their job job duties, I guess, unofficial responsibilities. And so I, I heard it and kind of, I didn't think much of it. And then at the end of the night, I saw that player as I was leaving the locker room. And there was one of the journalists, females, waiting for him. And so that really disillusioned me to the role at the time uh, for PR. And I know it's probably not the standard, but it was one of those things that kind of just grossed me out. I think the other thing was just really the long hours. And I thought, (laughs) and I clearly remember that uh, the Minnesota Wild, and this was about 10 years ago, I I don't know what their play is like now. It's probably the same. But uh, they had the most boring team I've ever seen. And they came to to Edmonton three times in one month. And I literally had one of those what am I doing with my life moments (laughs) watching them play. I know it's a perk, but uh, when you're exhausted and these players that are making millions are not even... And the Oilers were just awful 10 years ago which is really bad. I don't know if they've... At least they, they they might not have improved much, but they have better players, at least like we have Connor McDavid, which is worth watching. Uh, so after four years, I thought, eh, it's, it's, it's time to move on. And the other thing I've noticed is some people that don't actually have the talent, they just want to be around people that have the talent, and that makes their day, makes them feel important. And I was never that person. I, I'd rather try and make my own dreams come true than uh, live through something else. Yeah. So, I guess through all those boring Minnesota Wild games, I had a come to Jesus moment, and I reevaluated my life. Uh, uh, so yeah, that's that's the long answer of why I stopped. But it was a really fun four years. I learned a lot, and uh, I take it with me now in my my next job. So we're going to talk about your predictions, Dad, for the upcoming season. And uh, you did pretty good last year with Vegas. So I guess you could talk a little bit about what you thought of the Stanley Cup, the finals, the winners, 
the losers, and what's your prediction for next year? Or for this well, year, I guess. I, I've just got a couple of thoughts. Uh, as far as Vegas is concerned, when I analyze how well they played last year, and I ask myself, why did they play that well? Um, it's, it's the same answer as why a lot of teams aren't playing well is the goaltending. And if that goaltending, if they're not stopping the puck, um, you know, it's it's a tough position. But if you get a good goalie, like they're a commodity and they can make a ton of money, they make the difference between whether a team's going to have a good year or not. And I can specifically look at the Oilers, who, and I don't know, I mean, it's something like, They've made the playoffs once in the last 12 or 14 years. But if you think about it, the year that they made the playoffs, their goalie, Camp Talbot, stood on his head, and he carried the torch every night. And maybe some nights when, you know, a first period or two they were outplayed, he kept them in the game. And they got into the playoffs last year. He didn't have the type of year that, you know, the Oilers, Oilers fans, or he had hoped for. Um, and they didn't do very well. So, you know, we'll see what happens this year. But again, I, I think, you know, when I look at Vegas and you look at Fleury, the year before he played for Vegas, he's with Pittsburgh. And his regular season, he did not have a good regular season. He had an outstanding playoff. And so he wasn't protected uh, by Pittsburgh. And, of course, Vegas snapped up this veteran goalie. Well, if you look at him size-wise, he's not the typical NHL goalie, which, you know, they're huge, 6'6", six, six, and 230, and that are bigger. And uh, those guys, they can just stand there, play the proper angle, stay square to the shooter, and you got to have a pretty good shot to score on these guys. Whereas Fleury, not that big, he depends on a lot of energy, movement, cutting off angles, moving around, the, very acrobatic in that. That's what he did last year. He was on a high coming to a brand new team. He had a lot of energy, a lot of uh, second effort. He made the saves, and he kept them in the game many nights when he should have been down two, three goals. My thoughts are, and I hope he proves me wrong, is I don't think he's going to have that ability this year. Um, he's not getting any younger. He's in his... Early 30s, I believe, and I want to say like 34, but I'm not sure about that. I don't see him having that same kind of energy. He still has the desire, but desire is one thing, and then playing good is another. And I just don't think he's going to bring what he had last year. So my prediction is that Vegas, they're going to just be in the middle of the pack this year. Um, I hope from, you know, my buddy George that that's not true, but that's my thoughts right now. So we'll see uh, towards uh, the Christmas time and end of the year whether that's accurate or not. And who do I think is going to win the Stanley Cup? You know, Toronto Maple Leafs, they had some good additions. Matthews is another year more experienced. He's starting off real well. So... My opinion is if Toronto's goalie can, if he can stop the pucks, they're going to be right there in the end of the day for the Stanley Cup Finals. i got to believe, in my mind, Tampa Bay is going to be the team that's going to win it all. So, we'll see. Okay, we'll write that down, Tampa Bay. We'll see how it goes. 
You should be putting money on this or something. (laughs) Something. That's how I lose when I start putting money on it. So I was recently in San Diego, and you mentioned that that triggered a couple stories that you have of San Diego. I know a lot of people don't think of hockey when they think of San Diego, but uh, why don't you share what came to mind for you, Dad? Well, that's exactly right. Chris wrote San Diego, and that's kind of how a lot of my stories come back to me. There's something that's got to trigger that memory. And uh, I remember when I played in the world hockey and I was playing with Phoenix Roadrunners and we went to San Diego to take on the San Diego Gulls. And we're on the bench and there's a guy behind the bench who's acting like a tough guy, swearing and, you know, right behind the bench. There's a glass separating us. And he's just getting on everybody's nerves. He's banging on the glass. So a couple of the boys turned around on the bench, you know, and told the guy, oh, you're pretty tough behind the glass. Why don't you come over here? So the guy, he actually hopped over the glass onto the bench, and he pulled out his big buck knife out of his boot. And he stood on uh, on our bench with his knife. Well, what a big mistake. Because you get 20 hockey players... With hockey sticks. And what are you, like five feet long, these hockey sticks? And so, you know what? When you see a guy with a knife there, so they started spearing at this guy and swinging the sticks to knock the knife off. So he got kind of pounded on the bench, and then the police ran out onto the ice, grabbed this guy. And, you know, I I know in some of the rinks, when the police get involved, they're not going to punch anybody in front of the fans but when they get him in the back room they work these guys over so but these cops were punching this guy all the way off the ice so he got kind of rocked on our bench and then he got beat up off the ice and i don't know what happened behind the scenes but uh that's uh that was one of the things that just reminded me it was i've never seen that before and i was pretty foolish of that guy to come on our bench because you know what i think if, if i'm right if a fan reaches over the glass and does something or tries to do something and we swing at his arm that's over the glass, we can't get charged for assault. If we reached over the glass towards where the fans are on their side of the glass and we did something, then we're in trouble. So, you know, we just knew that that guy, you know, he was stupid to come over on our side of the glass. And the other thing when I think about San Diego... I had talked in my previous podcast about this coach that I had in Phoenix. His name was Sandy Huckle. I've already said enough about him. But, you know, as I mentioned before, he just came up to me before I ever put skates on for the hockey team. I was number five in the NHL draft, which is not too bad. So i got to have a little bit of talent. And he just came up to me before I even went to training camp. He said, I'm going to do my best to send you to the farm team. You're not going to play for me if, uh, if I can't send you down there. So, you know, I, I, I've already talked about the way he treated me and embarrassed me. And, you know, most people in sports and in the real world, we got pride. And so he, he I just cursed that guy many times for how he embarrassed me. So we were in San Diego, me and a couple of the young guys. We're not getting any ice time at all. I don't even feel like part of the team. We don't even know why he brings us on the road. He was just pretty bad to us. You know, as a hockey player, you eat about noon hour, 1230. And then, so make a long story short, I'm, you know, it's between the second and third. And 
I don't think I cleaned it all. And I was getting hungry. So I asked the stick boy, I said, here, I'm going to give you some money. Go get me a hot dog, but sneak it into the dressing room, will you? And I'll meet you in the back there. So he snuck a hot dog in, and I'm hiding in the back. And I'm starting to eat my hot dog. Well, I got all my gear on. And wouldn't you know, Sandy Huckle walks into the back room as I'm taking a bite out of my hot dog, which is a big no-no during the game. So, of course, he loses it on me and flips out. So, if you're trying to impress a coach that doesn't like you, don't eat a hot dog between periods. I'm guessing you didn't play the next game. <laughs> uh, you know, it'd be the usual, right? So, I really didn't get myself in any more lack of ice time, that's for sure. But, uh, and then the other thing, and no, this isn't San Diego, but this is back in Phoenix. Felt so bad. So, in the WHA, you could have pretty well an unlimited curve, and I had an easy inch and a half, inch and three quarter curve on my stick. And when you take a slap shot or a wrist shot with a kind of curve like that, uh, I'm telling you, it rockets off the blade. It comes off hard. And so, I had used one in junior, and, uh, even though it's illegal, when you come to the third period, if if it was a close game, then you'd quickly go to the bench in the third period and switch out your stick in, with 10 minutes to go and never never caused any problems. So I'm in the WHA and in practice, we had this goalie named Jack Norris. He was an older goalie. And so I hit the top of the circle and I, you know, you got to try to learn how to pick corners in that in practice. It's easy to pick a top corner when there's nobody in net. So you got to learn, unfortunately, sometimes your puck doesn't go where you want it to go. So I hit Jack in the head regularly, not on purpose. So one day, I did it again. Nope, he skated over calmly, said, that's it. You can't control that stick. You hit me in the head all the time. I'm not stopping the puck. Every time you come down to practice, I'm just going to get out of the net, and you'll have a empty net to shoot at. And I remember thinking, really? That's how we're going to play this game, are we? So I come down. He'd step out of the net. I'd still shoot at him, you know, off to the side. And I mean, I didn't aim for his head, but I'd still shoot at him. And he did this for and the coaches that Sandy Huckley. He didn't care. So probably he did this for over a month and you're on the ice every day and it's getting old to me and then one day he walked up to me and he said okay I don't know if you learned your lesson and I said yeah oh for sure I mean I don't try to hit you in the head it's just you know so he said okay I'm gonna go back in and stop the puck <laughs> wouldn't you know it I'm coming down my first time he's gonna stop a puck in a, in a month he stays in that and sometimes there's little bumps on the ice that's caused from the Zamboni. And uh, just as I'm going to make contact with a puck from the top with a slap shot, it hit this little bump and it kind of went up on end. And it, So you can't control a puck like that. And I let it go. Bang, right in the head. <laughs> so that was it for another three weeks. I said, okay. And he wouldn't stop the puck. So another thing. Don't do that with your goalies. Do you think he thought you actually were doing it on purpose, even though you said you weren't? I don't know what he thought, but um, if Jack, if you're listening, man, I didn't do it on purpose. Honest to God, I was uh, I was doing my best to keep it down, but when he hit those bumps, that I couldn't control. Do you know whatever happened to him? Uh, I think he moved back to Canada. He was a farmer, so I think he probably got back into farming uh, once his hockey career was over. 
And then the last story, uh, before we get into the main topic, which is coaching Coaching. kids, and because it's hockey season, you've coached for a long time. Uh, You have something about the Denver Zoo, and I don't don't know what that is. Actually, you have two stories. The Denver Zoo and a strip club. So uh, they're not connected, I don't think. No. Okay, well, (laughs) this is just something of interest. Uh, It's nothing to do with sports, but it was... Doesn't take much to amuse us hockey players. So we were on the road, and I think I was on. Uh, I think it was the Rangers farm team, and we were in Denver, and we had a day off. So all of us decided to go to the Denver Zoo, and we're walking around. You know, it was a nice day, and we get to the gorilla cage, and it's it's outdoors, and uh, there's a big moat and a wall between, you know. The people that are watching and looking at the zoo, at, at the animals and and the gorillas. So myself and about four or five of the hockey players, we're standing there looking at this gorilla, and he's got his he's just like a human. Those eyes, they're moving around looking at you, and you could just see that that brain works. So there happened to be a an older man beside me, and we just start talking, and uh, he says to me, he says, "Oh yeah, I'm the zookeeper here." I said, "Oh yeah," and we started chatting. And he said, one thing with these gorillas, he said, do not show them the back of your hand. I said, what do you mean? He said, you know, when you hold your arm up and you show them, then you wave the back of your hand at them, like a fist with the back of the hand. He said, to a gorilla, that means you think you're more dominant than him. I said, oh, okay. And then he walks away. He wasn't gone a minute. And all of a sudden, five guys got the back of their hands going up to the gorilla. And you could see him. He was getting agitated. He stood against this wall, and he was looking at us, and he was getting mad. You could tell, and then he kind of ran over and picked up a big hunk of his gorilla poop, and he started throwing it at us. And so then we started looking at that moat, and we're saying, you know what? It doesn't look like it's that far away. If he gets mad, what if he gets over that moat? We're, we're history, so we stopped bugging him. But So next time you're at the zoo... Show a grill in the back of your hand and see if it works. Get some going. Well, speaking of the zoo, that was my first job. I think I was 14. And uh, they were happy just to have volunteers. And uh, I don't know if they thought I was naive or dumb or what, but uh, they had me clean all the animal cages with the animals still inside. And so I would uh, go into the the snake exhibits and uh, have to... Have to clean out the cages with the snakes inside still with no training, and the, my last straw was when they put me into the bear's den, and all I had was uh, steel-toed boots, and it was the kind of enclosure where you actually had to take a ladder down into the cage, and it wasn't a cage, but um, where they lived, the mom bear wasn't there, but it had there was three cubs that were still quite big. And they said, if they attack you, just kick them. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, I, and I thought, if you kick a bear, it's, it's just going to take the kick and then annihilate you. Uh, so uh, I'm down there with the hose, just the hose and my boots and three bears. And uh, I'm washing the cages. And I remember I, I accidentally sprayed one of the bears. <laughs> and it came up to me. Accidentally, I'm sure. It came up to me, and they all started chasing me. They bit me, but not enough, like, just kind of, like, 
like a nip, a, a nip and but it still hurt. And uh, I remember climbing up the ladder as fast as I could. One of the bears took my boot off as I got as I got out. And after that, I uh, I quit the zoo. And maybe that's why uh, I was uh, the uh, only uh, volunteer. Uh, yeah, you could have been a hockey player for sure. I gotta say, I mean, this is not hockey, buddy. Say, you know, we kind of set Chris up when we were growing up. We went to this uh, buddy of mine had this farm and he had this turkey coop. And I don't know if you know anything about turkeys, listeners, but uh, turkeys, they're not like chickens. You go in there with chickens, they're mild and that. And I remember setting up Chris, and I I don't know, Chris, he might have been 10, 11 years old. And I said, oh, you should go look, see if there's any turkey eggs in there. So he said, are you okay? Oh, yeah, they're okay. No problem. So Chris goes in there and those turkeys chased him all over. And I think I traumatized him. Couldn't get out of there quick enough. Those turkeys are a little aggressive. Do you remember that? I do remember that, and I think uh, I've mentioned three traumatic events already. So don't tell your mom. Don't tell your mom what I did. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So do we? Well, maybe we'll hold the the strip show (laughs) to the next one because uh, we'll talk. What a segment change, but um, we'll we'll talk about. Just because it's hockey season, we I think you probably coached, including me, uh, kids hockey for 20 years, give or take. Yeah, yeah, maybe 15. And, you know, I coached my daughter, Jessica, in, uh, at, you know, this, the sports that I played is what I coached. And Chris is right. We put, you know, him into sports. Uh, I wouldn't take, well, I don't like that sport. I would say you've got to try it. And then if you didn't like it, you don't have to play again. So, uh it wasn't good enough to say, I, I don't want to do it. We, I, we made them. So, I mean, they played baseball. They played soccer, hockey. They didn't like football, and I didn't want to coach football, so I didn't get involved in that one. But So, you know, when I talk about coaching, and we're referring to hockey specifically, but it, it, it it's not things that I've learned about coaching kids and I don't even know if I've learned it or it's just something that, to me, it's common sense. You could apply this as a coach to any sport, like any sports where, you know, kids are playing. One thing when you coach, whatever sports, and for me, I'll just use hockey, you have to remember as a coach, kids pay to play, right? They pay to play. And one of my first lessons that, uh, oh, I've got to tell you, when I we lived in Rye, New York, and I was just finished my career with the Rangers and uh, got into computer consulting. My son, I'm going to say, was about six years old, and we got him into soccer. And we're telling him, you know what, you're going to have so much fun. So Chris was a tall boy, and so he was uncoordinated and, you know, if you're not quite as tall, you're a lot more coordinated at a young age. And so it happened to be my wife's, a friend of hers, a husband was the coach. And if there was 10 games that season, Chris just sat on the bench the whole time. And he really got on the field. And when you're six years old, your goal is we gotta not we gotta win every game. We gotta win every game. That's not the goal. Your goal is a coach. Now remember, these kids pay to play. His kid never come off the field. You know, he wanted to win at all costs. You gotta what your job as a coach is to make sure 
that when the season is over, that these kids had fun. And the barometer, whether, you know, these are six-year-olds or 17-year-olds, the barometer, whether you did a good job coaching or not, was how many of those kids are going to play that sport next year. So if you did a good job, they can't wait to sign up for the next season. And that was, if they all wanted to join the next year, then I know I did a real good job coaching. And that was my goal, was to make sure they all wanted to come back. And when this guy was just sitting my boy on the, on the, you know, on the bench, so he'd lose interest and he'd be walking up and down picking dandelions and the coach would say, get over here, you might go on. Oh, I tell you, my eyes were just spinning. I, I was going to go over and, you know, I'm not going to physically do anything, but I was going to just tear a strip off this guy. I've been in sports my whole life and that's not how you coach kids. But my wife said, you know, I'm a friend of the coach's wife and you can't be talking like that. Oh, I, honestly, I'm getting mad just thinking about how brutal that was. So if you're listening out there, don't be like that guy. You let the kids play and have fun. And winning is a bonus at that age. They just turn them into soccer fans or basketball fans or whatever the sport is. That's the idea is they just have some fun and they want to play next year. So just remember that. Kids pay to play and let them enjoy it. And if they want to, they want to pick dandelions. Yeah. Just let them pick dandelions. Yeah, well, no, you know, I don't remember that. Yeah, but, but just let I me mean, just let the kids play. You, you know. Anyways, you're getting me going. So yeah. the other thing is, I've learned when I see not so much when they're young kids, okay, but as you're getting older, you're not doing the kids any favor by because if you ask the kids, do you want to have a hard practice? They're never going to say yes. But if you want the kids to improve, and again, it's not just hockey, it's any sport, more particular to as the kids are getting older, you can work them harder. So what I've learned in pro sports, and I've learned it when I was younger, I was like 15 playing football, contact football, and some of my coaches were ex-Winnipeg Blue Bombers, which if you're listening from the States is in the Canadian Football League. So these guys know what to do. And I was so fortunate. I always had good coaches. Like, I always did. But uh, I never I never played at a level where they worked. I never ran up and down a football field so much in my life and did so many wind sprints. Man, it was hard. But, you know, it gave you the work ethic that, you know, if you if, if, if you want to get better because you, you – Play the same way you practice. So if you can go and practice and you want to fool around and you don't work hard, and when a game comes in, you say, now I'm going to try, it doesn't work that way. So so coaches, as as the young kids, it's got to be fun. And, you know, you can make them skate and give them time to rest. But, you know, there's some coaches that uh, I hear them say, oh, my guys didn't play well last night. I'm going to skate them so hard tomorrow. They're going to have puke practices. That just makes me sick when they start talking like that. You know, there's no such thing. You should never have a puke practice because I believe the kids are trying out there in whatever sport. But I would tell my kids, as again, didn't work the young ones as hard, but as they got older, I would say to them, there is no team that is going to work harder than you guys. And our first half of the season... You're going to see the teams that we play, and if we get beat, you watch what we do to them the second half of the season. 
and every single year. Talk about gratifications. I would give. I t- yeah. I told him I'll never give you puke practices if you if you you know didn't play well. But you're going to work hard because that's just what we got to do when you play sports if you want to get better. And I'd always give them time to get their breath back. And another thing is when I make them do laps. Like when I played for Scotty Bowman in Montreal, like he was, uh, he had his due. If you've ever skated laps, you can't even do it. 38 laps each way at top speed. So we didn't even get through 38 going one way. And he just realized that, okay, he, he called the practice, right? I mean, that, that, that was just a little bit goofy. And so with my kids, I'd say to them, okay, I need you to do four laps in one direction and give me your hardest. And, you know, they do four and then give them their breath. And now other direction, do three and then let them get their breath and then do two of the other and so on. And this is how we started it off. And one of the things, there's kids that are real good skaters, but there's kids that always would come in last. And some coaches will say, if you are the last two or three, you're going to do extra laps. Well, I would tell my kids, you know what? I don't care if you come in last. If you're giving me the best that you got and you're trying your very hardest, you'll never see me ever give you extra laps. And so even the guys that weren't as good, they were just trying their best. And they still came in last, but they did their best. So how could you ask for any more than that? So, you know, I didn't make any of these guys that were last feel bad and and give them extra work because they weren't first. I mean, that's there's always going to be guys last because they're just not as good or maybe they're a little overweight or whatever the reason is. But kids pay to play. You know, as a coach, we don't realize it, but... Whether you want the role or not, you're a little bit of a role model. And uh, one of the things that kind of put it in perspective to me is when I was coaching, I think it was like a midget major team. And I believe these were like seven, six, 16 year olds, but they were big. And people thought we were in two leagues, two divisions higher. Um, because our boys were big and they were mean. What a mean team I had. Like, they were tough boys. And so when we played teams, our guys wanted to rough everybody up. And it was hard controlling these guys, but I did. I, I, you know, as a coach, you can control what they do on the ice. So we went into a tournament one time. And our first team we were taking on, you could just see that the team in the warm-up that we're taking on was in the wrong category. Like, they put them in the wrong division. They were not at our level. They had, Their jerseys were too big for them. They weren't very big. They were skinny. And and before the game, our guys are saying, oh, we're going to kill those guys. Boy, I'm going to run them. And that bothered me a lot. And I told my guys, I said, listen, these kids are just like you over there. They love the game of hockey. And that's why they're playing the game. They love the game of hockey. And don't take that away from them by going out there and playing a tough guy role, running them and trying to hurt them. That's not what I want to accomplish here. We're going to beat them. And I said, even if somebody on their team takes a run at you, please make me proud and just turn the other cheek. Just no matter what, just don't go after these guys. And sure enough, as the game went along, I had a couple of the team members on the other side took runs at my tough boys. And they looked at me and I just shook my head. Don't do anything. And so, you know, when the game was over, we beat them and they shook hands. 
And I remember I was proud of them, and I thanked them, and I said, you guys did the right thing by not trying to hurt these guys. And when I walked out, there was a group of about seven of the parents from the other team, and they asked, you're the coach? I said, yeah. And they just said, we want to thank you for controlling your boys because our guys, they could have got hurt by your guys. And we saw that they had control, and we were in the wrong, they put us in the wrong division. But And they just thanked me. So anyways, you know, I knew I did the right thing. Many years later, one of the guys on my team, you know, he's not playing hockey anymore. He's playing recreational hockey. And he just said, Mr. Connor, you taught me a lot about life. And especially when you, you know, talked about not hurting those guys, how they just love the game the way you do. Anyways, he gave me some pats on the back. And, you know, I didn't really know that some of these things that I would tell him that they just, file it and, 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 and it maybe affects them the way they play from now on. But I tried to be a positive role model and you have to always pat these kids on the back. You can't yell at them in front of, you know, you know the, the other players. And if you have something to say, I had one guy that would swear at me and I just took him in the hallway and I just told him, I said, listen, I don't talk to you that way. You don't talk to me that way. And so that was the last time he ever swore, but I never embarrassed these guys. So I just think as, as, as a coach going into a season, you know, you, you just got to be so positive with these kids and make them feel good about themselves when they do something good on the ice. Just pat them and be sincere. And when the season is over, here's something I thought about. You know, it doesn't matter if they're, you know, like eight years old or my 17-year-olds. When the year was over, I never asked the parents for any money. I would go out and I would buy each kid a trophy. There's some cheap trophies out there, little plastic things. I would never just give one of those. So I paid some good money for a nice trophy. And everybody on the team, if there's 15 kids on the team, I would put down to the best face-off, to the fastest skater, hardest worker, best defenseman. I mean, you got to give somebody a label that they're the best at. And so when the season was over, we had a little get-together. And I would call each child up by their name and I'd kind of put my arm around them for a second and I'd talk about so-and-so. And, you know, once you coach this kid for a whole season, you kind of know what each kid's all about and you don't have to write anything down. It just comes from the heart. There was a few kids you had to really reach down to figure what you could say their best at without looking too phony. But, you know, I did that every year and... Uh, I, I know that a lot of the kids that I bump into now, you know, they say, Mr. Connor, do you remember me? You gave me the best defenseman trophy. Or do you remember me? And one of the boys that I coached, he owns a bar. And my wife was in, in, in a bar restaurant. And so he came over to the table and he said, Mrs. Connor, you know, your husband coached me and he gave me the best whatever trophy. And it's sitting on my bar right now. It's still up there. So, you know, you make these kids feel good and make them feel like they did something and it was noticed out there in a positive note. And it just goes a long, long way. So, you know, that's my thoughts on coaching. It's uh, just some of the basics. But if you got any questions, you know, please write in and uh, we'll answer them. And then the, the last quick thing that I, I know is important is how you would look for the people that didn't have the support 
You want to talk about that quick? Well, there's kids on our team, especially when they're pretty young. It used to bother me that, uh, okay, I like the idea that the kids are playing, the parents put the money up and whatever sport. But in hockey, they would drive them to the arena, whether it's an early morning practice, whatever time, and they would just stay out the vehicle, drop them off, come back in an hour, hour and a half for the kids. So they didn't go in there. They didn't tie the skates up. They didn't stand and watch the, you know, the child, you know, practice hard and give them a pat on the back. They, they were just like a, like a paid chauffeur. And so when the kids came in, I would tell you in a few seasons in a row, I was doing up 11 pairs of skates because the parents thought, oh, somebody else would do it. Somebody else would do it. And I don't think that that's right. I think you got to be involved. My dad, he would always, as a young age, take me to the rink. He didn't just drop me off. He'd go and put his skates on and we'd go out there together. And they're, you know, by doing this, it come to a time when I would say, oh, I really like skating. I like hockey. And I'd go public skating. I could do things on my own. But at the young age, I think it's very important that you show up and you make them feel good. And when you notice the effort out there or if they've done something good, you give them that pat on the back. And so you got to give those kids support. Don't just drop them off and then disappear and then stay in the parking lot until the kids come back out again. Get involved. Well, that was uh, brought me back to my, my hockey playing days. What, did I drop you off? <laughs> no, the award you gave me. But um, yeah, I, and I, I remember what you gave me, most improved. And do you remember I was upset with that? Well, let me just say this. I, I know why you'd be most, why you would be upset with that. Because growing up, I would say without exaggerating, Every team I played for, the parents would put in for some trophies. And for five years in a row, I got the most improved player. And I used to say, does that mean I was real shitty when the season started? Is that what that means? Or I was good and I got even better. So maybe that's what you're thinking, Chris? Yeah, I think I said that to you. Yeah, well, so so no, I think you, you were good and you got better. But now I know the strategy behind the trophies. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so thanks, everyone, for, for listening. We want to ask if you can uh, send a review on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. Send in your questions and tell a friend it's hockey season and we need your help to share the podcast. So I'm Chris. And I'm Cam. Thank you.